GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Kelly M. Borge. Are you a young man looking for opportunities to network and fundraise for charity? Then you might be interested in joining the Roundtable. The Roundtable International Regional Chairman Nick Gomez tells us more. Children from Governor's Meadow are learning all about travel. Our reporter Kem Rui spoke to the budding travellers. The Gibraltar Art Society wants to entice new members, so Chairwoman Jane Hart will be telling us what's on offer. But first, the Health Authority is offering the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine to anyone who hasn't been adequately vaccinated, following an outbreak of measles in the UK. This is Director of Public Health, Dr Helen Carter. So it's a concern globally. You know, we've seen outbreaks in the UK. We know mid-term we will have had people travelling backwards and forwards to the UK for holidays. Hence why it was good time and opportunity for us to dust off our plans and remind the public that uh, if you haven't had measles or two doses of a measles-containing vaccine, now is a really good opportunity to boost your immunity and raise awareness of the signs and symptoms of measles. Why are cases rising at the moment? So in the UK, it's because of falling rates of vaccination. So we're seeing the legacy effect of vaccination levels dipping below 95% from the 1990s. That then plays out through the generations. Measles is really infectious, far more infectious than COVID was. Um, your listeners may have heard of R naught. How many people uh, become infected? For measles, it's um, 12 to 18. So a single case of measles can go on to infect 12 to 18 non-immune people. So it's very infectious. So that must be quite a concern for, for public health Gibraltar. Absolutely. And because we've got vulnerable sections of the population, you know, people think measles is a bit of a rash. A lot of us will have had it when we were children, especially older generation. We, you know, if you were born before, she says older, putting herself in that category. If you were born before 1990, more than likely you will have been exposed to measles um, as a child and have some natural immunity. Most people think it's a bit of a rash, but for adults, you can end up really poorly uh, and develop some, you know, really severe complications of measles. Hence why if you aren't sure, if you don't think you had measles when you were a child and aren't sure about whether you've had two doses of vaccine, that's why we're doing a real push on the vaccine now. So luckily for most, it will be a mild illness, but just how serious can it get? It can result in hospitalisations and sadly, um, the Republic of Ireland reported a death, uh, an adult death from measles uh, a few weeks ago. And again, it's that global picture of the World Health Organisation have said they are concerned around increasing rates of measles across Europe. It's just a good reminder time for us to say, actually, if you're not immune, go and have a booster. So the the vaccine we're talking about is the MMR. Talk us through how that works. Yeah, this is the the vaccine that children typically have about 13 months and then a preschool booster. So if you've had those, that two doses, that gives you lifelong immunity. We don't need to worry about those, those groups who've had two doses of the vaccine. Similarly, if you've had measles, that gives you lifelong immunity. You are fine. It's the group who may not have had measles, may not have had two doses of the vaccine. They're the ones we're trying to get to. There's always a lot of concern surrounding vaccinations, the possible side effects. What would you like to say to parents who are perhaps a bit concerned or a bit uh, cautious when it comes to vaccinating their children? I would say there was a lot of concern in the 90s. Um, people have seen the links of MMR vaccine and speculation. Was it connected to autism? That work that the, the doctor did was disproven. 
they they disproved that link between the MMR vaccine and autism. So I understand parents might have been concerned at that point in time. I would say to parents, it is a safe vaccine. There are common side effects. You know, you can feel a bit unwell after you've had the vaccine. You can perhaps come out in a rash. And there are some rarer side effects as well. Um, For example, in an adult, about one in a thousand people might end up with um, sort of a severe complication. But these are rare side effects. And it's far, you know, the risk of having, you know, sort of severe illness is far greater from actually having measles. Do we know how many people in Gibraltar are covered by the MMR if they're vaccinated and they're protected? Do we have statistics? Unfortunately not, because our our electronic records started only in 2018. So for children, we have a a good indication around... the uptake of the vaccine. But if you were born before 2018 or had your vaccine then, it would have been contained in paper records. What does put us in a good place, though, is um, some of your listeners might remember there was a measles outbreak in 2008 where quite a significant number of the population actually developed measles. They will have natural immunity as a result of that. So actually, I think we've probably got okay levels of immunity, but if you're not sure... Give us a ring and we'll arrange a vaccine for you. That's what I was going to say. If you're not sure whether you've had uh, both doses, um, is there a way to check that? Or is it safe to just have a, a vaccination in a way, just in case? Yes, if you're not sure, it's safe to have another vaccine. Yes, say so these are safe vaccines. And even if you are immune, what the vaccine will do is give you, if your immune system a bit of a booster. But it's only really for people who are sure they've not had two doses and are sure that they've not had measles as a, as a child. Would it be recommended for perhaps uh, vulnerable people, people with like immunosuppressed uh, systems? Would it be preferable for them to have an extra dose just in case? Yes, potentially. Absolutely. And the group I particularly worry about are pregnant ladies. If they're not immune, um, you can't have a measles vaccine and the MMR when you're pregnant. So they're the group that I keep a really, really close eye on. And this is also the message to the population saying, you know, if you think you might have measles, phone up 111. We will clinically assess you. Don't just turn up as A&E. Don't just turn up at a primary care centre. We will signpost you to make sure that you don't come into contact with potentially non-immune pregnant ladies, other vulnerable vulnerable patients. If somebody develops measles who isn't immune, we have the option of giving them um, what we call immunoglobulin. So this is an injection and an infusion that we give you of, of antibodies to help protect the pregnant lady or the vulnerable person. What are some of those symptoms to look out for? So measles typically starts with a sort of cold flu-like illness, conjunctivitis, runny nose, and then the rash starts a few days later. The rash typically starts behind the ears on the head and then spreads down through the body. And you're infectious from four days before the rash starts to four days after the rash has gone. And as you said, these are, I mean, the early symptoms, at least, they're very common in terms of colds and flus, and it's seasonal at the moment anyway. So if people are receiving these kind of symptoms, how do they know not to go to the health centre? Because effectively, they are contagious at this time. So I suppose it's quite difficult to control in that sense. It is. And this is why we're saying phone 111 for advice. If they triage you and think, gosh, this might be a case of measles, they'll pop the person into a side room to be assessed. Similarly, if somebody does turn up, we'll rapidly triage them and move them into a side room. What is the treatment like if it is caught? So measles treatment tends to be supportive. 
Um, there is there is a limited antiviral medication we can use, but we tend to be supportive treatment, and by that I mean treat the complications. So it's if you get a secondary bacteria infection, we'll give you antibiotics. While we're on the subject of vaccinations, uh, Priscilla has been in touch and she says uh, shingles vaccines were rolled out in the UK last year, but not here. She's asking if this is something your team is looking into. Yes, thank you for that question. So I was, um, I've been asked a few times about the shingles vaccine and I have um, provided advice to the government asking them to consider offering it to our population here. What we'd need to work out and do though is, is, is funding and management of the programme how we're going to recall people and how we're going to give the vaccine. What about in terms of flu vaccine, COVID vaccine? The last time you were in uh, the studio with us, that's when you were really encouraging people. What kind of uptake did that receive? Not surprisingly, we've had lower uptake than previous years, but that's the same pattern we've seen across Europe and in the UK. Just a reminder for colleagues, you know, if you are in one of the um, vulnerable groups, uh, it's not too late to get your seasonal flu or COVID vaccine. You can phone up and, and have one of those vaccines. And those groups are if you're over 50, have a long-term health condition or a health and social care worker so so or have significant contact with somebody who's vulnerable. We're still offering COVID and seasonal flu vaccines through the, the walk-in clinics uh, in the afternoons in the primary care centre. Are we seeing a higher amount of cases due to this uh, low uptake in, in vaccinations? I think it's been a contributing factor. We've had a very busy winter in terms of quite high levels of circulating flu A. What we normally see is a second peak of flu B infections and the vaccine does cover that. So people say, oh, is it too late, Helen, to have my, my seasonal flu vaccine? No, it isn't because we've we've Seeing the flu A's tail off now, we're just watching and waiting to see if we get a second wave of the flu B infection. And COVID cases? COVID cases similarly saw an increase over the Christmas period, but that has tailed off now. The benefit of that is we might have a little boost of natural immunity as a result of having had COVID circulating uh, in the community, so people might have come into contact with that. But again, the vaccine will give you that booster if you're in an eligible group that we're hoping will last you through to next autumn and you won't need to have an, an, any other boosters during the year. We were discussing before we went live how unseasonably warm it is as well for February. We've had the hottest January on record and now again highs of 19, which is uh, just so hot for, for February. Uh, does the weather come into it at all when it comes to, to spreading of germs? Or you'll know better than me um, on this one. But it does seem like we're hearing of a lot, anecdotally, of a lot of people uh, getting ill lately. And I, I wondered whether perhaps the weather might have an effect at all. I think the weather has effects in terms of behaviours you know, increased mixing, increased parties, the, the good weather. The benefit is, though, that good weather takes people outside, uh, so it tends to be well ventilated, so we'd expect actually there to be less infectious diseases, but actually we've seen quite a, a, quite a surge and quite a lot. So I think um, the weather is playing an interesting factor. I think we've just been through a, a tough winter in terms of flu, COVID and RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. I think it's been a, a really difficult winter for us. Well, uh, just finishing off to to remind the public on the numbers to call for the measles vaccine. Uh, that's 111. Yes. If you are experiencing any uh, symptoms and then the primary care centre on 200 72266. 
or 266966. But if anybody is wondering where to contact, 111 and they can signpost you through to the right place. And we do know it's become a bit of a, of a worldwide crisis. Are you hopeful that Gibraltar will make it through this? Indeed, if we can boost those immunisation levels, I think, I think we'll, do, we'll do okay, yeah. Are you a young man looking for opportunities to meet and understand people of different cultural backgrounds? Well, Roundtable is a non-political, non-denominational association of men aged between 18 and 45. Its members are from different professions and occupations and they are recruiting. Here to tell us more is Nick Gomez, who I believe is the outgoing Roundtable International Regional Chairman. Quite the mouthful. Um, (laughs) You've only just recently um, stepped down from this position because it was a a two-year maximum yeah. Um, yeah, position that you could stay in. Yes, exactly. That's right. Thank you, Kelly. Um, but you were the first Gibraltarian to host that position. To yes, have that position. yes, absolutely mm-hmm. right. So I, I, I was um, uh, very honoured to to have been elected the the first Gibraltarian to hold that position. It's um, the Round Table, as you said, is uh, is a is a young man's organisation, and Gibraltar forms part of a region known as the Southern Europe and Mediterranean region of Round Table International and of which there are 13 countries, including, for example, France, Switzerland, Cyprus, uh, Italy, Portugal, Israel, Morocco, Tunisia, and some others. And I was the first Gibraltarian, uh, again, very honoured to have been uh, chosen and elected to have uh, been uh, chairman of the entire region. So for someone who may be interested in joining, what does a roundtable have to offer? So I think I've been thinking about how best to answer this, and I think that the best way of explaining this is to give an insight into my own experience with Roundtable. And I've come up with three examples. The first is a trip that my very first international trip where I went to Madagascar, um, uh, a fascinating place where not many people tend to go to holiday. So it was an incredible experience. But what made it amazing was the, was, was two things. Firstly, that I stayed in a, a wooden hut where there was no electricity and no hot water, but I was uh, there with wild lemurs uh, for, for a oh week. Oh my gosh. It, it was amazing, honestly. So I'd wake up in the morning, have breakfast, and the lemurs would be there having breakfast and with me. And this formed part of a roundtable initiative. Yes, was exactly. Was it a, a charitable trip? Well, or? exactly. And, and, and that's, that's exactly the second point. So the, apart from the, the amazing experience of being in Madagascar, uh, the second part, and, and really the main reason why we were there, was to take uh, clothes and, uh, and shoes to a local village uh, in Madagascar where we, uh, on one of the days, we went to the beach, we bought uh, a lot of uh, f- food from some nearby uh, uh, shops, we took it to the beach, we gave the kids of that village uh, the clothes, the shoes, and we had like a large picnic and then a football match on the beach. So that was an experience that I'll take with me uh, for the rest of my life, a really priceless experience. And I think that's one reason, or one one of the things that Roundtable gives you uh, an incredible insight into how other people live and an ability to help people uh, who, who are uh, perhaps less fortunate than we are here in Gibraltar. The second uh, experience, incredible experience that I've had, is when I went to uh, Lapland in Finland. And here I was given the opportunity of going snowmobiling. And then we did some some stuff like uh, Bear grills type, uh, type uh, um, uh, exercises, which is that we went um, ice fishing, we caught our own fish uh, from the ice, uh, we cooked it and we ate it. We then spent the night in the forest at minus 40 degrees 
uh, and obviously this is in in March, so it's uh, completely covered in snow. And we saw the aurora borealis. Uh, so really, an, uh, again, an absolutely amazing experience and something... It all sounds incredible, like really grand adventures. Yeah, it's, but it's, then also part of the roundtable, I believe, is also just more local community fundraising as well. No? Yes. Which is, there's a strong emphasis on that, giving back to your community. Yes, exactly. So so uh, your your question as to what, what it is that roundtable can give you. And those are two experiences which I've had, which I think um, uh, uh, will probably resonate with a lot of people. But you're you're absolutely right. The Roundtable is a, a young men's uh, friendship and charity group, and uh, as many of your listeners will know, we host a, a variety of of events uh, every year. Take it from poker uh, to uh, horse racing uh, events. We also do. We're also very proud because uh, every year we have Santa coming to the Christmas convent, and and he we're good friends with with Santa, and we see the kids and. And presents are given out, so there is a large emphasis, if you want uh, to be a part of it, on charity. But we have uh, people who have different interests. So my interests are traveling and charity, and so I take part in in those type of exercises. Whereas other people tend to go uh, to round table to just to meet new friends, to have different experiences, to talk with people, and and so on. So there's something for every everyone. Something for everyone, but it is men's only. Yes. So would you say that perhaps the, the charity, the organization is at a disadvantage because you don't invite women? Well, the, the, it's interesting you say that because uh, it is, uh, you're absolutely right, it is a, a men's group. But that's not to say that women aren't allowed. So, for example, we have something called the Ladies' Circle, which is an exact replica of the round table. And for the last 43 years, we have been trying to uh, create a ladies' circle in Gibraltar. And unfortunately, there hasn't, as of yet, been any real interest. Uh, Why do you think that is? Do you think that perhaps the ladies' circle almost sounds like a secondary group rather than joining the the, the original round table group? Uh, no, because then the round table, I suppose you could say the round table is, is a secondary group to Rotary because a round table started as a result of people uh, wanting to to have a a group, uh, an organisation where the age group was slightly younger. Uh, so no, I, I don't think that's 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 a case. And in fact, the ladies' circle have is is almost a bigger an organisation as Round Table. It just so happens that in Gibraltar, it just hasn't caught on, and and we really have tried, and and we make efforts on on a yearly basis. So you are looking to recruit. Uh, how do you see the Round Table progressing locally, and how do you see it evolving? Yeah, uh, so we have our AGM in March and at the AGM a new board will be uh, brought in. Uh, the new chairman has, has some great ideas as to uh, events coming up. I, d- I don't want to spoil anything because uh, it, it's for him to come out and, and publicize. But really the uh, the focus will be as, as it is on most years, i.e. just go out, uh, help our community, uh, try and raise as much money for charity. And in fact, as uh, your last speaker, Jane, is part of the Rotary Club and uh, both the Rotary and and Roundtable will be working together as we have in many uh, previous years in order to fundraise. So what's the best way uh, for people to get in touch and uh, to show their interest? So the best way would probably be by Facebook. We also have a uh, a website. Um, If anyone is interested, by all means, please write to us, uh, drop us a message on on our Facebook account and uh, and we'll meet up. 
But if uh, if there is anyone interested in a ladies' circle, Kelly, maybe you'd be interested. <laughs> we will keep you posted. Yes. Uh, Priscilla's actually just been in touch. She says, there used to be a ladies' circle in my days. I'm not sure um, what year that was, but she says that there used to be. So yes. if, if we hear of any other listeners who are interested, I will keep you yes. up to date. And, and Kelly, if you're interested, by all means. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> When was the first time you ever travelled? It's a, certainly a memorable moment for most of us. And this week, school children from Governor's Meadow have received lessons. They're learning all about uh, Kevin. Is it passports, airports, a frontier? You've been speaking to them this morning. How's it going? See, Kelly, hello. Um, I went down to Governor's Meadow today and they were all very excited. They were all four and five years of age. And very young to be very, learning about travel. Yep, they were learning about transport and travel and everything that it entails from suitcases to what to do on holiday, the modes of transport, airplanes, boats, trains, to travel destinations. And of course, the magic ingredient today was learning about the passport because uh, the people down at the passport office, the CSROs, um, went down to the school today and um, taught them about the passports, what it entails, what it allows them to do. And the teachers that went way out, um, they created a passport control. They had their little passports as well. That um, They were actually stands by the passport staff who went down there. And the children got to tell them all about the destinations they wanted to travel to. And then they actually got on a little plane, which the teachers created, and they went on the holiday of the lifetime. Oh my gosh, a fully immersive experience. <laughs> fully immersive. Very fun way to teach our kids about travelling, the world, the importance. When I asked them what they've learned about uh, well, traveling and um, what traveling is about, it, they, they all agreed it's about the exciting thing to be able to go out there and see things in the world. How, how beautiful, no? What were some of the most uh, common questions this morning? What were some of the, the things that they were most curious about? Well, they, they, they were curious about um, the passport and how it worked, um, how they could get one. Um, when some of them were really switched on, they knew they had a baby passport and that by the age of five, they had to be changed um, because obviously babies change and they've got a facial expression. So the passport photo needs updating. Some of them already knew that. Once um, you get to our age, there aren't quite so many differences. Maybe just a few <laughs> extra grey hairs here and there. <laughs> I'll tell you, Mira, I'm asking about um, the travel destinations. There were all sorts of uh, comments. We've got a, a few of them. This morning, importantly, you'll be learning about passports, no? A little bit of a magic book, no? Who can tell me what a passport is? What have you learned today? It's so you can go anywhere. If anywhere you want. It has different pictures of other people. Uh-huh. I think the passport changes I, when you're a baby and then they change up when I, you're four or five. Four already. You have your new passport already. You've had the nice people from the passport office here stamping your passports today. You went through passport control, no? And you had to tell them where you were travelling. Where where are you travelling today? To Paris. To Paris. And why Paris? Because then I can do a Disney ride. I'm going to New York. New York, that's exciting. The Big Apple. America, because I want to see my favorite princess. Yeah. I want to go.
go to England, so then I can go to Legoland. <laughs> oh, some really lovely answers from school children at Governor's Meadow this morning. You could share their imagination, some of them. I was uh, um, I was listening into the passport control. Where do you want to go? And one of them is me, totally. The beach. Why? <laughs> beach because break. I love the beach. Oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, I think one of the, the wonderful things about working for the newsroom is that you never quite know where yeah. your day is going to take you. And you could be interviewing the chief minister or you could be interviewing four-year-olds learning about travel. But I have to say, I, I do really enjoy um, speaking to children on air because mm. you just never quite know what you they're going to come up with. You never know what they're going to come up with. Kelly, that question you asked at the beginning of the segment. Um, the first your, your fondest, earliest memories. Yeah. yeah. Which is yours? Oh, I think like most families in Gibraltar crossing the border to have mm. a family holiday up the coast. Eh? Doro Malinos, I yeah. know you're a big fan yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like those kind of uh, family-friendly resorts where... Um, I'd sing karaoke and get up on stage and dance. Yeah, and leaving <laughs> Gibraltar and seeing the masses of land and yeah. countryside. And, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I remember that my first trip across Spain and also the passport. When we were, when I was a kid, the passport was very important because we got it stamped. Obviously, we were not in Europe yet or the European travel document. And there were the big uh, black passports and you had to form the queue. And it was always a bit scary getting your passport stamped at passport control. I also had a fake one like the kids this morning. Well, uh, um, a pretend a one, one. A toy yeah. one, not a fake where, one. Where, Otherwise, we'll get the police exactly. coming down yeah. here to check you out. <laughs> The Gibraltar Art Society is inviting the community to make the most of its monthly talks they host at the beautiful Garrison Library, such a such a beautiful setting. And tomorrow's in particular will be an illustrated lecture on untouchable art. The Society's chairwoman, Jane Hart, is in the studio now. Good morning, Jane. Good, oh, morning. good afternoon, rather. Um, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming in. Uh, now, Jane, the Art Society, long established um, on the rock, but constantly working on keeping your programme engaging, vibrant, relevant, always trying to entice new members right that's right um we've we started the art society gibraltar 15 years ago so it's been running 15 years and every year we get more members as people come to a lecture and wow i didn't realize it was going to be as interesting or as good as that when often the subject can sit you know it sounds quite fusty but my goodness we do have the creme de la creme of lecturers coming to us we're very lucky to have that because we're very lucky to have some very, very good sponsors, which are mostly local businesses, support us and help us to bring these incredible people to the rock. We don't realise how lucky we are to get these people here to talk to us. Most fascinating subject so far this year, we had Peter Butterworth's son come and talk to us about his father. Many of you remember Peter Butterworth as being the the funny man on the Carry On series. But this man actually was a prisoner of war, and he actually went through the great escape he was part of the great escape and the trojan horse he was actually there part of it which we don't realize and i mean it's not just art we're at now when we first started uh, it was the the art society was called defas which was a decoration of fine art society which, which sounds more, if i may sounds a little bit stuffier than it, the art society it certainly did and I, I i've always done the marketing for 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 it uh, such a stuffy name and try to get people interested in that and then in 2019 we had a new uh, ceo florin and he changed the name thank goodness to the art society and with that he brought a far more broader interest in art than just you know the renoir or Goya or, or stuffy. I mean, they're not stuffy, but, you know, people are interested in more diverse Perhaps things. more niche. That's right. 
which he's uh, he's brought in. Um, and as I say, subjects from, we had a lovely talk two, two months ago about the 60s and the music of the 60s and how how that was formed. So you mentioned that the creme de la creme of speakers. They is are. the fact that you're inviting them to Gibraltar, is that a selling point, do you think, for them? Or do you think it certainly it's, is. Yeah? yeah, as soon as you say, would you like to come and speak in Gibraltar? Oh, yes. Because mm-hmm. a lot of them have never been here before. Some have been here and would love to come back. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's for them, it's a whole experience coming to Gibraltar. And then when they get into the Garrison Library, it's like, oh, wow, you know. Mm-hmm. And also the society, it forms part of a wider network, no? is it? Uh, 90,000 people work worldwide. worldwide, so I suppose yeah. um, that network enables you to meet people that are of this high calibre. Well, it is actually the Art Society themselves that credit, they, they are accredited lecturers. So you have to go, if, you're, if you are an elect- lecturer, and a lot of them are lecturers that actually talk on cruise ships, um, and you have to go through this process with the art society that they think that you are good enough to represent them as a lecturer. So we have every year we have a, a directory day where our membership, uh, our, our speaker member goes and within a day she chooses the lectures for two years in advance. So there's no trouble getting the lectures here in Gibraltar. What kind of appetite is there locally for, for those to attend? It's building. It's building. As people who weren't interested, as friends persuade them, come and listen. And they come and they say, oh, wow, that really is good. I am more interested. Uh, I'd, I'd like to come to some more lectures. And then they join. And like you said, perhaps before uh, there was a um, perception that the Art Society was uh, quite highbrow, like you said, stuffy. Um, how are you trying to make it more appealing so it's not daunting for, for someone who maybe feels like they need to have some experience in the art world to attend? Uh, how are you making it more welcoming to, to well, the general public? Well, um, Ellie, Ellie, Eleanor Turban, who is our, our speaker secretary, she chooses the speakers. She's very talented at hitting the spot of things that would interest people. And then we advertise via Facebook um, what's coming and people do, you know, we get quite a lot of, of followers and people come up just out of interest as a visitor and then they want to join. Well, now is a perfect time because you do have an event tomorrow. Talk us through we that do one. indeed. Well, I'm going to read it because to me, <laughs> it's very confusing. It's something I've You're not selling really it yet, Jane. <laughs> I'm not, but I do know that after I've listened to what she's going to say, I'll be able to come back here and tell you. You'll be enlightened. I will be enlightened, but excuse me, because I've got to read it. (laughs) This lecture is for anyone who feels baffled or simply fascinated by the fact that a work of art that doesn't exist in any tangible way can make megabucks on the art market. We're talking about NFT. We are talking about NFT. How did we get here? How can something be a work of art when it only exists in cyberspace? The history of high-risk speculation on the art market is relatively a recent phenomenon and driven by the potential profits to be made from investment in contemporary art. But speculation has a long history in the evaluation of culture and its concept of social status, and art as a luxury good has always bloomed large in this history. To understand why anyone would want to buy an NFT, we need to delve into the art market, its actors, institutions and sectors, and how they all play together in the formation of taste, 
perceived value and consumption. Now, I'm also a little bit baffled when yeah. it comes to NFTs. Okay, so um, NFT so, so Viv will be the um, non-fungible the on this. Yes, non-fungible means that it's something that is unique and cannot be replaced. They're digital images, unique digital images. That's right. Um, and and a lot of art goes into them and into their well, design. Can, but some of them are, are quite um, comical. Some of them are quite uh, almost like character. Um, characteristics. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, caricatures yes. of of animals and and personalities, well, I mean, but they go for it, so, so much know. money. But it, yes, and I'm just discussing with your next guest, Nick. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's much younger and therefore more yuppie about it than me. And he says, "Well, for instance, Jane, you can then take that image and put it on your Facebook page." Mm-hmm. I'm saying, "Well, I'd much prefer to have a piece of art up on the wall that I can look at every day and appreciate." Mm-hmm. You're really only buying something mm-hmm. that other people can appreciate and not you, really. But, um, but perhaps Oscar it's Wilde the future said, of art. All art is quite useless, so why is it so valuable? Well, perhaps you'll have um, some more answers after tomorrow Certainly next lecture. Certainly will. I'm really interested to see what she's got to say and how she can... Mm-hmm. Explain it all to us. If anyone does want to attend uh, or to join the Art Society, how do they go about doing that? By all means, we we meet every third Wednesday at the beautiful Garrison Library. You can pay at the door £12 just for the one lecture. Uh, We have a social hour before the lecture where we have wine or or beer or, you know, whatever. Well, we don't do spirits, but (laughs) it's a very, very social hour. Trying to keep it a bit tame. (laughs) <laughs> where everybody sort of gets together, people, friendships have been made, everybody's delighted to see each other again. I mean, my goodness, the, the, the reception after COVID, when we all got together again, was just incredible. Um, but, it, you know, the like-minded people who enjoy life, and all ages, I mean, and we do encourage also the school children. If it's a subject that the teachers are doing for GCSEs or whatnot, and the, and the children will benefit then the children come for free and uh, we do encourage all art teachers and whatnot to watch what we're doing on on Facebook and um, come and bring their pupils if they find that there's something that will benefit their pupils. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.